SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 20 with guest Richard Waymeyer. SQL Down Under is a podcast from Redify. It's designed to assist professionals working in the SQL Server community. Any opinions expressed by people during the podcast are their own opinions, not those of the companies they work for or of Microsoft Corporation or of Redify. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing Show 20 with Richard Waymire. Hi folks and welcome to the new year. Sorry for the delay in posting up shows a bit lately. I've uh, made quite a few changes. I've uh, moved from Brisbane, moved down to Melbourne and got married uh, in October and you'd be pleased to know that my new wife May is a SQL Server DBA so it keeps it in the family. The uh, we've I've had a lot of emails from people saying oh please please um, are you not doing any more shows? And yes, absolutely, that's uh, we're, we're doing heaps of them. Uh, and in fact, the first of those uh, is right here now, so I hope you enjoy it. Our guest this evening is Richard Weimar. Richard is the Program Man- Management Architect for Visual Studio Team Edition for Database Professionals. He's been with Microsoft for eight and a half years, working on SQL Server for the majority of his career. He's a contributing editor to SQL Server magazine and the author of several books on SQL Server. So welcome, Richard. Hi. So uh, as I do with most guests, Richard, I might get you to just uh, first up just describe how you ever came to get involved with SQL Server in the first place. Well, it was funny. I was working on mainframe systems with uh, DB2, and somebody needed uh, somebody to work on uh, a little database project that they had on the side, this was back when um, we were doing NT 3.1, and I had—I don't remember—it was a very large quantity of floppies to even get the operating system going. So, yes, <laughs> uh, somebody needed somebody to get started on that, and they wanted somebody with a database background. And I said, "Sure, I'll give that a try." And promptly got hired away by another company that was getting much more serious with SQL Server, and then worked on um, 4.2 and 6.0, and started doing some very early beta work with 6.5, and. Um, just took off from there, went to a consulting and training firm, and liked it so much, I joined uh, Microsoft and started working on SQL Server 7.0. Uh, 
Actually, how did, how did you enjoy the training? I must admit, I've, I first came across you in the in the training areas years ago. So, um, did you enjoy doing training in those days? Or? I love it. I love talking to real customers, doing solving real problems, and and uh, you really get to see a lot of aspects of the product. That you know, it's a, there's a great irony in um, loving a product and then going to work in, on its development team, and uh, you only get to see a very small sliver of the product on a product as big as SQL Server. So yeah. each one of the folks you'll encounter from the dev team typically knows a small area very, very well. Yeah. And, and, and trainer, one of the luxuries you get is you, you sort of are forced into seeing the entire product as a whole. Yeah, actually, one of the one of the things I really really enjoy uh, about the time I do get to do training is also the just the fact that people will ask you just anything, you know, and uh, it, it's just amazing. Is that every single time you teach a class, I, I I sort of feel like you walk away learning lots more things than the people that are on the class. So, <laughs> Absolutely, but, and 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 you, you sometimes they're about Windows interaction, sometimes they're about networking sometimes it's you know just core sql or replication i mean the the level of things that come up are, are all over the map and and that's what makes it exciting and interesting and fresh every time yeah now and so the move to microsoft itself well that was um that was a pretty straightforward call for me it was an opportunity to to be a part of the team of, the, of my absolute favorite product and mm. uh and help design this, the software and help fix the issues that I had seen with the product that I wanted addressed and and work with a fantastic bunch of people that I'd come to know through the training connections. I'd come on to campus or meet people at events, and these were folks mm. I wanted to work with. And so it was, uh, it was just the obvious thing to do. Yeah. So what areas were you mostly involved with in within the product group? Um, core engine stuff, security, um, high availability, I worked a lot on uh, failover clustering. I worked an awful lot on the security capabilities of uh, 2000 and early 2005. And then I worked for a number of years on the, on the management tool suite, everything from the command line, SQL DMO, SMO stuff through the, the management tools, SQL Server Management Studio, the uh, profiling tools, query editing tools, that sort of thing. And so, so a little bit, a little bit all over there, and then I for even a short stint in the data warehousing side of it, working on uh, uh, DTS and SSIS and and uh, analysis services. So been yeah. all over the product. What's your feeling about where analysis services is currently uh, positioned? I, I suppose do you do you think it's got to the point where we really are mainstream yet I in the industry? There, you know, it, it's a funny thing because. People thought that we would run into this brick wall with relational, that you'd get to a certain size, and then the, the servers would be unqueryable. Yeah. And at this point, at least, I don't think we've hit that wall. And I, so, so there's analysis services can fill a great niche if you need quick answers or you've got some predefined queries that, that that you need to know the answer to on a regular basis, and you want to roll up, or you've got some really complex calculations. Uh, you can get nearly instantaneous answers from something like analysis services. You think of things like KPIs. You just want your indicators. Am I in the red or in the green on my business? And then I can drill into the gory details to figure out what, why those numbers are showing up that way. That's, that's a harder thing to do uh, on, uh, on, uh, on a relational solution.
mm. or I should say on a, on a pure relational solution, because of course analysis services can be backed up by a relational yeah. database as well. But but I mean you're you're hearing nowadays of people thinking of doing and starting to implement 50 terabyte, 100 terabyte solutions, and they're no longer panicked. I, I remember it wasn't that long ago that people said we couldn't do one terabyte. <laughs> yes. And now I today I, I I bought myself a new USB 2.0 hard drive, and it's uh, 500 gig, and yep. you can chain them together. There's uh, one terabyte USB drive now. Yeah. So so. The size of drives has gone up. The size of data that we've stored has gone up, and yet somehow the database products managed to scale just fine. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we're, yeah, I have customers that have single tables that are up in six and seven terabytes now. So the the just sizes that I, I would not have even contemplated uh, uh, quite some time ago. I mean, just w- wouldn't have even considered possible. Yeah, um, and, and again, as long as well designed uh, and queried appropriately, I mean, p- perform quite well. Yeah, you certainly don't want to to imply that oh yeah, everybody can do a ten terabyte table. Mm. It's a non-trivial exercise, but you know, it's it typically somebody setting up something like you said that on a analysis services is going to have to involve data cleansing. They're going to have to involve very careful design to understand what measures they're after. So it's it's a non-trivial exercise either way. Yeah. Actually, one of the things that I've been sort of a bit interested with with analysis services is that previously sort of mainstream products from Microsoft had not incorporated analysis services, but that now seems to be changing. Absolutely. You'll even see, for example, a team foundation server leveraging analysis services. Mm. And, and uh, I sort of wonder if that's a fundamental shift to the point where you know, when Microsoft starts shipping its own products based on analysis services, that might make it a little more mainstream. Well, I, th- I think there's a recognition that, that when you have a product, let's, let's pick on Team Foundation Server again for a minute. You have a product that stores an enormous amount of data about your business. So what are things you'd naturally want to be able to do with that data? You'd want to be able to report on it. You'd want to be able to figure out whether things are going well or not. Are you developing software in an efficient manner? Are you getting the results you're looking for? And a product like Analysis Services, if you if you have a good idea of the kind of data you want to see in the source of that data, then then suddenly a product like Analysis Services just makes a lot of sense. And you combine that with reporting services and the relational engine, because there's always still the relational engine underneath these components, and you get a pretty powerful solution um, in short order that, that out of the box can be built for the most part, in an automated fashion anymore with a lot of these Microsoft products. Yeah. So, and I mean, so from there, you've then moved across to the Data Dude team in recent or more recent times. So uh, how did that move take place? Well, um, sort of meandered over here, I guess, in a way. Um, but uh, my good friend, Gert Drapers, was over here as the development manager and, uh, and uh, talked to him about uh, what he was working on. It got me very excited that... Uh, that we were thinking of building this product, and uh, I joined the team to to come and work again with Gert, and uh, took it from there. And in a fairly short turnaround of what, about a year, yeah, we uh, took some very early prototypes and uh, turned them into uh, shipping code. Yeah, yeah, I must admit, uh, I I certainly recall being in a software design review in May 2004, and it was still very much PowerPoint wear at that stage. So. Yep, the team got 
funded in what it would have been a summer, late summer to early fall of 2005. Mm. I think I joined over the holiday break in 2006, so came on board fully in early January of 06. And by TechEd, we had a, a working uh, community technical preview. That, yeah, uh, actually, that thinking about it, it must it must have been 2005. I think the software designer of yours at not four. So yeah, it was even tighter than that time frame. I think. So, yeah, yeah. The team the team really wasn't staffed until December and January of uh, December of '05, early January of '06. Yeah. And then uh, and then we just cranked out the software as fast as we could. We tried tried a few things we hadn't done before, at least in my experience at Microsoft. We were <laughs> we did a Scrum and Agile. So we had daily Scrum meetings with the team and. Dev and test and program management were all reporting daily status and making adjustments and coordinating our feature set. And we were working in four-week sprints. And the idea um, was to simply uh, get that stuff cranked out as quick as possible and and be able to make adjustments and and ship it very very frequently to the community to get real customer feedback. And so uh, you were actually using like an MSF Agile type process in place. Yep, absolutely. It's it's gone very very well for us, and uh, been very happy with the results. It's it's a bit of adjusting. It's a different way of building software than what what a lot of us are used to. Yeah. Um, our manager that came in had done it before, and. Was, well, that's uh, actually what I was going to ask. So, who, so how, given the fact that most of your work previously wouldn't have been like that, what was the driving force to move to that? Well. <laughs> You know, it's funny that the difference one one person can make. Uh, mm-hmm. The answer to that is basically that our product unit manager wanted to do it that way. Yep. And felt that it was the best approach uh, to develop rapidly. Uh, and given that it was a V1 product and and we wanted very fast turnaround and a lot of customer feedback, uh, he he drove that vision and got a, got the group motivated behind him to try it out. Yeah. And so, quite literally, it was. Uh, I'd say it was the power of one guy with a with an evangelical approach to, uh, to the way he wants to do it, and everybody let's do it together. That's good. There's been a bit of a discussion around the blogosphere over the uh, the last couple of days because uh, uh, people have been noticing Microsoft posting job ads for new uh, development. Uh, or developer-oriented things for SQL Server. And again, what was interesting in the job ads is they were talking uh, sort of end of the year, early next year, sort of completion times again, and these were for projects that hadn't started yet. So is is this something you think we're going to see more and more of? Or? Well, I, I, I certainly know that there's a lot of it. We've got the attention of an awful lot of management at Microsoft going, how did you do that? Mm. How did we get such a quick turnaround on the project? And so we're... We're um, doing a pretty serious post-mortem, figuring out what went well and what went what went poorly and what, what could be done better next time, and trying to be very uh, uh, introspective on, on what needs to change, but also being uh, focused on, on what did we do a good job at, and then take some of those best practices and then share them and try yeah. it on a wider scale. What, what were the main things you think you did differently to other groups you've been in? I, I think, I guess the biggest thing is, has been the rapidity of adjustments. Mm-hmm. Because we're meeting on a daily basis, by the end of each week, you had a really good idea of what was going to be a lot harder than you thought, 
what was going to be easier than you thought, and, and things that required more integration than you might have thought, and you're able to coordinate those changes um, um, much more quickly than you might have otherwise thought. And so you didn't have this sort of couple of months lag before you figured out, wow, things aren't on track. We knew usually within a day or two if something was going off track. Um, yeah. Because you're talking to the developers and the testers and the program managers every single day, every morning, and everybody's talking to each other. So you get an awful lot of interaction that might have happened over a couple of days in, in a normal work environment. And if you got lucky, somebody would happen to walk down the right hallway and have the right conversation. Well, here, when everybody's reporting their status, somebody might hear, oh, you're doing X? Oh, well, okay, that means I, I really need to hurry up and get my part done because I didn't realize you were so far along. Or a tester saying, oh, you're up to that now. I didn't realize that that was coming. I'll uh, make sure that the test environment um, is ready to go for you. Or, or or somebody would say, what are you doing working on that? I'm still waiting on you for this other thing, and I thought you were working on that. And then, Oh, I didn't realize you were blocked. I'll get right on yeah. that. All that sort of interaction is happening so frequently that, that you didn't get some of these delays that you might have otherwise gotten on a normal software project. Yeah. I think that's a big now, part of it. And also just realizing that it's okay to reopen the question of are we doing Feature X if all of a sudden Feature X previously was thought to be an 18-hour development project and it turns out it's 60. Yeah. And so you get 12 hours into it. You realize you're nowhere close to done. You then bring it back up and say, okay, how important was this feature again? Yeah. And then, and because you're dropping to customers all the time, you can say, okay, Mr. Mr. Customer, this is not working, and and uh, what do you think about us uh, adding this or not doing this? And and we got fantastic amounts of direct customer feedback on this project. That's great. So now, uh, I suppose the next thing is just to recap. Uh, the, features and things that you actually did finally manage to get into the product and done. So what, what would you describe as the main contribution of the product? I think the biggest thing has been redefining what it, what it means to have where the truth is of your production schema. Yeah. The folks that are adopting the product early are telling us that, that this really is a, something they've wanted a long time but, but hasn't been... Um, possible without a tremendous amount of manual work on their part, and that is that they now will have a historical reference of what schema and what versions of that schema are in production, and they have mm. a way to easily replicate a test environment of that production solution, and then with the unit test integration to then write tests and figure out what uh, when they make changes, are those changes going to break existing code, and all of that working in the same environment they're used to working in to write the rest of their software. So it just yeah. makes it easy for them. And then on the other hand, they we're pulling the, the DBAs into this process as well. And so they're finding, even uh, on the pilot projects we've worked on, that they're getting involved earlier in the software development process for SQL because the developers need them, for example, to get the initial project started because they won't necessarily have the rights to see the production system to, to get a baseline build. Because they're because they know that they're going to have to be deploying these systems out, they're getting the, the DBAs or the, the SQL developer involved earlier because they're integrating in uh, directly into their project solutions in their C sharp or VB projects. So mm. much much closer interaction being sort of not forced forced is the wrong word but um, enabled 
through the yeah. through having the project in VS. Yeah, the with the environments that uh, you've seen it going into so far, uh, how many do you think will use it sort of standalone, or how many would use it more in conjunction with TFS as as part of a wider deployment of VSTS or something? Well, well where they're going to get the value out of the product is definitely in the integration with things like Team Foundation Server. So let's imagine a scenario. I've got my schema as a database project, and now I've written some a data generation plan to to generate some data for, for a schema so that I have some test data. And then I create some unit tests so I can test my stored procedures and my functions. Now, if I have... Um, team test, then I can integrate that with other tests I might have had for my for my C Sharp or my VB or C++ projects. Uh, if I have a uh, team developer, I can combine it with all the other code quality checks I would have for my source code. If I have team foundation server, I run a unit test and it fails, I can right-click on the, the failed test and say, hey, log a work item or log a bug right in yeah. Visual Studio. And I, and I can just insert and cut and paste all the stuff right there from my failure and, and uh, right into Team Foundation Server and track the workflow without ever having to have a new tool or without having to connect somewhere else. It's all just right there in the same environment with me. And, it, and yeah. I say all this because that's exactly how we're doing it. Yeah. No, Actually, that was one of my next questions is uh, how, how many groups internally or how many lots of people internally have you got using it as well, or is it mostly just external? Actually, um, we're very much getting we're getting very aggressive at migrating the company into Team Foundation Server. So mm -hmm. we're getting off the Source Depot and onto our uh, into Team Foundation Server, changing over our systems, keeping our source there, uh, migrating our uh, bug tracking from our old uh, Product Studio databases into Team Foundation Server. So a lot of groups are making that move. Uh, team obviously the the Team Suite products are doing it. The rest of Visual Studio is doing it. Uh, several other groups in Microsoft, like SQL, are doing it. So we're, we're getting some really good internal adoption. Yeah. We're improving that we can scale it up and make it meet the needs of a large business because, of course, we have you know, an awful lot of software here. What about the DB Pro side of things in, in terms of internal people? Is there anyone that that many groups that that makes sense for? So I'm not sure I understood the question. Oh, sorry, the database professional edition I'm sort of wondering more more so than just the generic VSTS. Are there many internal folk that uh, that the new product helps? Yeah, we're we're actually getting a pretty good internal adoption, both from a combination of people who just have casual projects and realize that that this gives them a way to to version it and to keep up uh, information without necessarily having to do a full database restore. To mm -hmm. IT groups being able to use the testing feature, so. If they want to test out production data, but they aren't allowed to see the production data for legal or privacy reasons, now they have yeah. generation tools that will give them reasonable samples. To uh, other software groups that depend on SQL Server, see, I don't want to name names here because um, I don't know how yeah. much of that is public, but there are other groups that certainly ship with a SQL Server underneath the covers. In fact, a lot of teams now at Microsoft that are adopting yeah. uh, DB Pro as the way to help keep track of their schemas and to yep. build their test environment. So we're actually seeing fantastic internal adoption as well as external. Now, one one of the key, uh, one of the th main things that's in the product as well is uh, the, f the first level of sort of refactoring, so with a rename refactor. 
Um, what's your feeling on where that might head from here? Because obviously that very much looks like a beginning at start at refactoring. Absolutely. We know there are a number of different kinds of refactoring, and you can imagine that being one of the really key value adds of the product um, that we're going to be focusing on it in our next release. You can imagine the ability to refactor into across your entire uh, solution. So if I had a, let's say, a WinForms application in C-sharp, and it made some database calls, and I had some of those calls in strings that I would call with ADO.net or something, as well as having then the database project as part of that solution and its unit tests and everything else. Now let's say I want to rename a column on a table. You can imagine how slick it would be to, to refactor that and have it find all the references not only within the database and all the store procedures and triggers, but also in your application code and give you options to update everything simultaneously and then run unit tests to verify that your rename didn't break anything. Yeah. Um, as I said, there are other types of refactoring you, you can imagine, but um, mm-hmm. definitely a lot of those are on our radar for B2. It's unclear exactly how much we'll get done, but but it is a key key focus area for us. And with the V2, are you, again, aiming for a fairly short iteration? I don't know if our schedule's been announced. We're definitely having a, a very short turnaround for our first service pack. Yep. Um, it'll be out in the first half of the year for sure. Yeah. But probably sooner than that. And then you're also going to see a significant number of power toys being released fairly frequently by the team as add-ons to be one that you can play with at your own risk. They will give you ah, so tell, tell us about power toys. That's one I haven't heard discussed. Ah, so just things that are little capabilities. Um, I don't want to steal any marketing. Yeah, for no. Them, but there are little capabilities in the product that we would have liked to add or the developer had an idea for, but we couldn't get it in for one reason or another. There's not enough time. Mm-hmm. We couldn't get it adequately tested. Uh, and, and for those, what we're going to do is get them sort of in, in shape enough and then release them out to the web, and then you can just download them and run them right on top of DB Pro, and that'll give you extra capabilities and features you might not have had otherwise. Yeah. And so as a developer or program manager or tester comes and puts an, an idea for a, a little code snippet or some feature add-on that they couldn't get into the main product, we'll release those. And, of course, you know, the other things is you can think of those as sort of down payments and directions we might be headed as well. Yeah. No, indeed. And so we, we plan on releasing those as regularly as possible to keep people seeing value adds to the product and to uh, enhance their experience. Yeah, that's good actually. So the the thing I was more yeah interested in there is uh, now that you had a short and initial cycle, um, I was just wondering conceptually if if continuous short cycles is the is the sort of overall direction. Well, it's unclear what's going to happen because, of course, you know, the, the short iteration of V1 was was go build a V1 product, get excited, get on the marketplace. Yeah. But then we're also very much part of uh, Team Suite. And so one of the very first things that customers asked us is they're very excited, glad you got that V1 out. Now, by the way, how come you don't automatically set up when I set up Team Suite? And yeah. So, so for customers that are going to be getting us through this process of, of uh, Team Suite, they're going to want better integration across the board. They're going to want us to, to roll up and be part of the Team Suite setup. They're, when the next major release of Team Suite comes up, they're going to expect us to be part of that. And so we have yeah. to balance um, a release schedule that says we are one of the core components of Team Suite and a, and a schedule that says we want to be on a rapid release, rapid iteration schedule. And I, I don't know mm. 
I don't know for sure how that's going to go and how fast that turnaround is going to be, I, um, but it's certainly our goal to keep frequent updates coming out. Yeah. That's great. Well, listen, that's probably a good to- point to take a break, and uh, we'll come back shortly. All right. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. So welcome back from the break. So uh, again, usually straight after the break, the first thing I get you to do is to just anything you're happy to share with us about uh, your, yourself. So who who is the Richard apart from the one we see at, at Microsoft? Well, I uh, like to uh, go hiking. Uh, I'm, ironically, on my whiteboard here, I was just looking up at the uh, uh, pictures I've got from hiking up in the uh, the mountains around here. One of the things we're, we're very fortunate to have here in Washington uh, near Redmond is uh, just lots of mountains. And so in the summer and, and fall, you can just find some fantastic hiking up in mountain lakes where you're the only person around for 20 miles. Uh, ah, yes. <laughs> love getting out there and doing that. Uh, I like reading. Um, play the occasional computer game, but, you know, sometimes it's nice to get away from the computers. And, yeah. <laughs> and spending time with my kids, like fishing with them. So. So, and the fishing there—that's sort of freshwater fishing in the mountain streams, or I'm more uh, or or lake fishing. I like going after trout mostly. Mm-hmm. I love rainbow trout; the the local favorite, and uh, it's more the fun of catching them. And then uh, last year, a friend introduced me to fly fishing, and I think I could get addicted to that. Uh, so where do you do that? Where do you do fly fishing there? Oh well, the part I've been doing was um, standing in a river with your waders on, and um, and just sort of. Getting the technique down of, of of landing the fly on the water so that the fish think it's an insect that's landed instead of your fishing line. Yeah. And, and it's so much fun getting a bite and then reeling the fish in and you just catch and release. It's just the, the enjoyment yeah. of, of being out there. You know, it's 50% just enjoying being out in nature and 50% the fun of of the, the catching of the fish. Um, yeah. I haven't gotten into I must admit, fish, fishing is a passion, uh, that's for sure. And, uh, uh, of mine as well, and in fact, uh, our local DPE guy, uh, Chuck Sterling, uh, you know Chuck, I'm sure. The, uh, uh, the one of the things I love on his blog is he uh, he endlessly does a fishing report as well. <laughs> so, I didn't realize uh, he was into scuba. Yeah. So. yeah, no, he's very much into scuba diving as well. But he's uh, since he's been living at the Gold Coast, I've seen more and more where he's uh, quite involved in fishing. And uh, on his blog, he intersperses tech. Technical content with fishing content. <laughs> Sounds like the next time I'm to Oz, I should uh, definitely have a fishing trip with the three of us. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, actually, the, the, the thing I, uh, I've just moved down to Melbourne late last year myself, uh, but, uh, and I'm still working out where all the appropriate fishing places are, but the, uh, one of the things I, I quite loved, um, up north of the Brisbane area where I was is there's a beach called Castaways and, it's just an unpatrolled beach with very few people around. But the thing I love is being there first thing in the morning uh, at sort of dawn or pre-dawn almost, and just the amount of life in the water and just 
watching the things that happen. They're like a few little bait fish and then bigger ones come and then sometimes there's dolphins around and, and it's just the most amazing sight. And the thing that intrigues me is that people who arrive at the beach, you know, late in the morning or something like that probably look and think, oh, yeah, it's nice, yeah. <laughs> it's, but there was this entire show that occurred early in the morning that they, they did not see. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I I uh, get that a lot. I mean, it's not just the, the fish, of course. It's all the wildlife. But Yeah. I, t- I tend to do more of that in the mountains. We've got ocean here, but, you know, the, it's the North Pacific. It's a little bit colder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That's good. Oh, on a few more things on the product. The T-SQL editor. Uh, what's your feeling as to where you got to with that? There, there's the endless discussion from people about IntelliSense and so on. So. Oh yeah, and, and that's such, I guess that's one of the features. There's a couple of features that have sort of just obviously you've got to do them for V2, and that's clearly one of them. And then it just becomes a question of how much IntelliSense, what is, you know, the, I don't know if you've heard of this, um, uh, uh, there's some other uh, query technologies coming out of, of Microsoft soon, uh, and they, and the, the funniest thing is when you look at some of these new query language techniques that they're trying to adopt, they always start with the from clause, yeah, not the select clause, and of course the reason for that is how much easier is IntelliSense if you already know what tables you're selecting from? Yeah. If you just say select, and then what do you expect next? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting problem to to solve, and certainly if you've already got the from clause there, or you're using table aliasing, you can start figuring that out. Uh, but you want to write good SQL that's not overly complicated, and using two and three part names on every column gets cumbersome. So w- we've got some serious challenges there, but I, but I think we've got a, one of the big sort of guideposts of V1 for us has been let's give people a SQL experience that that is very familiar and comfortable to them if they've been used to something like, say, a C-sharp experience. And so I think one of our goals is going to be to bring the the SQL editing experience up to par with a C-sharp language experience or a VB language experience. So you're going to expect that you'd be able to use code snippets. You're going to expect that you'd be able to have color coding of all the keywords and IntelliSense and prompting for syntax and instant syntax feedback. And so... It's, it's not hard to imagine those are, are some some key areas we'd be looking at. And obviously just yeah. just getting it to the point where the query editor in Visual Studio is every bit as good as the query editor you might have from the SQL Server team so that you don't find yourself being forced to switch to another tool in order to get some simple query result. Yeah. That was one of the goals for V1. We, we got pretty close, um, and I think it's going to be something we just continue to improve rapidly upon and just get ourselves up to a, to a really uh, superior T-SQL editing experience inside of VS. So you don't, if you're working on our product, and as, as you know, the product's an offline experience until you deploy. Yeah. So if you're working on the product and you need to make a live connection via Server Explorer, you have a fantastic query tool. And when you're working offline, you have a fantastic editing experience on those offline SQL files. That's yeah. definitely a V2 goal. Sorry, yes. The um, uh, Now, another one was schema compare as to how far you got with that, is that uh, it, there were a lot of objects in SQL Server 2005, so yep. fairly big challenges in making that work. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge for us in schema compare has been um, sometimes things are just hard to figure out from the SQL system table if you're not SQL Server. 
And so we've certainly had our share of challenges there, just like every system administrator has in trying to figure out what do things mean and when they come out of the system tables, how do they work? What's an efficient and very fast way to, say, reverse engineer a schema out of the, the SQL system table? So we spend a lot of time optimizing it. And then sometimes things, it's really hard to know what matters. So sometimes you can have set options, for example, and you think, oh, wow, I need to worry about all of them. Well, it turns out that for in the SQL system table, they only actually store the state of a couple of them. But most of them don't matter. They only change runtime performance. They don't change schema. And so picking yeah. things like that out, which may or may not be terribly well documented, has, has I think, been a, a big challenge of schema compare. And then just doing it quickly and then expanding it to provide better offline experiences. It, some of the stuff that people have asked us for, for example, is they don't only want to schema compare live databases, but as, as you know, we've already got the ability to schema compare against a project. But now they say, well, how about you schema compare against a predefined label in Team Foundation Server of a previous version of the project? Yeah, that's that was one of the first ones I looked at myself. I thought once once you've got versions of projects there, I, I really want to be able to compare different versions of the same project. Yeah, exactly. And so the schema compare tools is probably going to be trying to figure out how to do that. How, how would you? go back in time because, of course, that's one of the key questions that the project is meant to solve is, tell me about my history about my uh, my project. Tell me what version I'm on. Tell me about previous versions. And behind the scenes, there's mm. going to have to be some fun trickery of how do you sync to a previous version in the background and compare against it and stuff. But that's why we're here is to help solve those kind of things. Yeah. That's uh, it. So, so and definitely some coolness there. I think we actually do have really good coverage of, of SQL 2005 and then a uh, new release of SQL Server on the horizon. We'll have to figure out what gets added there and uh, release updates to it. Yeah, I suppose that's the other question is that you've now, you, when you were doing it, you had a, a version that was already out to work with, but you've got now a moving target as well to to try and keep the product up to date all the time with the upcoming versions of SQL Server as well. Yeah, but the, the SQL team is very, very excited about our product, and they're 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 really helping us keep up. Uh, they, we have source access to the, the key parts of the source we need from the language perspective. We've got great contacts over there. They're, they're really making sure that we know what's going on because they want to see it succeed as well. Because mm. if, if people are, are doing a better job managing their SQL servers, they're going to think more highly of the product and they're going to want more, more deployments of the product. Yeah. So, so people who use DB Pro and who feel like they really understand their schemas and they've really got a great experience of understanding versioning and, and have a great deployment story and, and, and a great test experience with their with their SQL code are going to like SQL Server more and maybe it'll get chosen over DB2 or Oracle or MySQL or whatever yeah. as the database of choice for that next project. And so what's good for us is good for them and, and vice versa. Yeah. What about the data compare? Um, that seemed a very, I suppose, early version of that, and I'm just sort of wondering: is uh, what do you think the main role for that is? I've been pretty much promoting to people that it's more. We've been using it for sort of like lookup table data and things that are almost more part of the schema than user data. Yeah, I think that's probably the most appropriate use for it. One, one of the things we haven't gotten back, ironically, is is very much feedback on what people would like to see for a data compare product. If you mm. think about like uh, 
replicated catalog systems, it would be a good way to get integrity checks to make sure that if you have, say, 10 SQL servers all theoretically having exactly the same data, it's a great way to figure out that they all really do so that you're not, you know, depending on which website you hit in the, in the web array, you get a different price on your <laughs> products or something. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, so there's there's some uses like that, but we haven't got a tremendous amount of feedback on the, uh, on it other than the lookup table use. A lot of people yeah. use it for, hey, I need to have this list of states or or postal codes or something. Can you help me make sure that yeah. I've really got the, the the right set of those? Yeah, well, I, I tend to see that data is that's right separate to user data, even though it's data that's in the database. It's it, it tends to be almost more schema in nature. Yeah, um, ironically, I think it was yesterday I was having a, that exact conversation with someone. At what point should we be, for example, storing the data for lookup tables as part of your DB project or not? Does that make yes. sense? Because because we, there is this weird line with some data is almost metadata. And, you know, we've, yeah. we've been taking a pretty hard line of saying we store schema and metadata, but we don't store data. But sometimes some data really is metadata, and we're trying to figure out how that makes sense. Yeah, if I look at how we used to do uh, things in a lot of my own applications, we used to have sort of like a configuration application that was the one that then applied schema changes and things. But to me, it's the data that we would have also modified using that same tool. <laughs> so uh, unrelated to user data, that's right, we would have added new lookup values. We, we might have also had some some of our own system tables, for example, and the sort of entries that went in those system tables, um, maybe there was a, a new value to store, you know, oh, simple things like, you know, what was the last invoice number that was issued or, or you know, th things like that that might have been a, a value that needed to be stored somewhere. But that's right, the, the idea that that row needed to be in a table somewhere is more to do with the schema, really, than to do with user data. Yes, yeah. So that's an so, open question. You know, that we're very early on the V2 planning, so is it, is it just the right time to be asking those sorts of questions and trying to figure out the answers? Yeah. And unit testing was a, a, a nice one to see in the product. The uh, found in general, uh, I suppose in the database area, people have tended to not been very big on unit testing. And I think of all always thought one of the, the the key reasons for that is it's been very hard to do in, uh, in in databases and mostly because in terms of unit tests every time you run a test you really want the system in a known state and you also typically want a very large amount of data and uh, the, the, the two things don't go together very well so one of the things I really do like in SQL Server 2005 is uh, probably database snapshots and I'm sort of one of the things I'd like to see maybe in the product is just some more automation of using snapshots for testing. Is that something they're sort of looking at at present? Or? Well, I don't think we've thought terribly hard about where we need to go with unit testing. So all, mm. the, the best thing there is post that up on the forums. That, that idea with snapshots is a good one. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we're just now figuring out what would it mean to really take that to the next level. We're working with the, the test, the the Visual Studio team test group to figure out yeah. um, what are good integration points there, and we're really lucky over there. For example, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you remember Ewan Garden. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> That's where he is now. He's over on the team test group. So we've got a really strong friend over there as, uh, as uh, they're one of the managers of that team. So 
So certainly we're trying to figure out how does it make sense, how do we establish this, keep this baseline established, what are the ways we should establish it, should we allow database restores? I mean, we've got this V1 idea that you would deploy your schema, do the data generation, and then run your unit test, but there are other approaches to getting that that baseline of, um, of a reliable, reliable database out there. And then there are uh, certainly other kinds of unit tests um, that you could integrate with uh, outside of the database as well. So yeah. I, I think it is one of those key selling points of the product that, that you really have the ability to figure out whether the changes you're making are going to break uh, what you've got. And also, uh, you can imagine that, that we've got some tools to help you figure that out. We can tell you when the tests are failing, but, but clearly there's more to be done there in terms of um, the ability to debug those failures and, and really dig down and diagnose them. So, so lots of opportunity for improvement there yet. Yeah. And I suppose data generation is an interesting one there too because that's right. Uh, data generation, I, I do like the fact that it was very extensible. Um, in fact, uh, I was, I suppose one of the things uh, when I was there in sort of June last year and we were sort of running through a lot of these different things, I, I must admit one of the things I kept pushing was extensibility. But uh, uh, and, and I think when the product's in an early phase, it really is important to have extensibility points built in all over the place. Um, because that's the point at which people need to be able to add on to it because the, the product might not quite do what they're after and, and the ability to extend it, I think, is just critical. Um, and so data generation plans, I, I, I like the ability to build data generators. In fact, one of the things I'm trying to get a, bit, a little bit of a community effort together is uh, in terms of building a whole lot of standard um, data generators and having a nice repository for people to... Uh, to, to go to to find those, I think that that would be kind of neat, um, because even locally, I'm um, feeling you know it'd be nice to have you know simple things like state name generators and local phone number generators and you know all all those sorts of things. It'd be just good to have a repository for those sort of things. So I'm looking at sort of putting that up on the site fairly soon. So it might be a beginning a beginning of somewhere to have a, a little bit of a community around that. Um, I really quite liked uh, also I noticed that the assertions that you could make in the unit testing, uh, the, the idea that you can now add your own assertions into that, that was a really nice late addition, actually. Yeah, and and certainly it was just, I know one of the publicly committed features of our next release, so everything we're talking about is mostly speculation still at this point, but one of the publicly committed features is that we want to be able to support other products besides SQL Server. Um, and the way you're going to have to approach that is by extensibility. Uh, yeah. So In fact, that was my very next question. Uh, when we were talking about, a minute ago about snapshots, uh, for example, as a framework for doing unit testing, the, the question is that's very much a SQL Server 2005 thing. And so how tied do you see the product being to 2005 or support for 2000 or other databases? Or Well, I'd say that the answer is that for the foreseeable future, um, support for SQL Server is going to be what we're focused on. Um, we're yep. certainly going to um, do our, our darndest to enable third parties like uh, Oracle or some other databases to, to plug into our framework and give you functionality uh, and, and take advantage of the functionality we have. At least that's our goal. But but certainly um, SQL Server is our first, first customer because, uh, well, we're Microsoft. 
Yeah, <laughs> indeed, that's that's true. The I think one of the things that's interesting about that is uh, I'm noting the approach they took with ADO uh, in version two, where they have the sort of metadata uh, layer where you can sort of pull back schema details. But what I I quite liked about the way they did that is that it, it doesn't have sort of a hard-coded list of what the different object types are. The object type list you also retrieve from the provider as well. So, uh, for example, in, in uh, the current product, you might have, say, nodes that in the Solution Explorer that say, you know, uh, stored procs or may say various words there. But if, for example, you had Oracle, you, you might want a node that said sequences, but that might have no purpose in in another database product. So clearly we're going to have a sim, something similar conceptually at least that because we're going to have to have that that even just between 2000 and 2005 you had to have different project types, different lists of objects, therefore different dependency tracking. So clearly if you start extending that off to to other database products it's, it's going to be uh, even more the case. Yeah. That's that's really great. Well, listen, just in finishing up then, I suppose, what's coming up in your world? Are there any places we'll see you speaking or things happening? Or I just got back from basically a month out of the office. So I, okay. I went on a road show to New York City and North Carolina and did some MSDN launch events for DB Pro. Then I took some vacation, then my mom ended up needing surgery, so I was out a bit longer than I expected, so I haven't done much planning yet, but I know that there are a number of, of shows here in the U.S. coming up that I'm going to be participating in, and, and I know we're going to be trying to get out, and um, as we're doing our V2 planning here this spring, uh, touching as many customers as possible to, to figure out what are the ideas we're coming up with or things that people would actually buy and, and that are solving real problems in the real world. So definitely going to be getting out. Don't have any specific travel plans at this point. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, thank you for your time today, Richard. That's just outstanding. Yeah, fantastic talking to you as always, Greg. Thank you. Bye.